That's right. So Cornelius Rhodes uh, was working for the Rockefeller Institute, and he went to San Juan in the 1930s to research anemia. Uh, a lot of Puerto Ricans were suffering from anemia as a result of um, hookworm. Uh, and he took his, you know, he'd been trained in Harvard, uh, but suddenly when he got to San Juan, he became a different kind of doctor. Uh, he took his location, uh, being in Puerto Rico, as sort of license to do whatever he wanted, however he wanted it. So um, this is what we have accounts of. Uh, first of all, he refused to treat some of his patients just to see what would happen. Um, he tried to induce disease in others, again, to see what would happen by restricting their diets. He referred to his patients, uh, to his colleagues, as experimental animals. And then he wrote a letter. Uh, he sat down and he wrote a letter in which he uh, said to a, to a colleague in Boston, uh, he said, you know, Puerto Rico is beautiful. The weather is incredible. I love the islands. However, the problem is with the Puerto Ricans. They're awful. They steal. They're filthy. Uh, and the thing to do, really, is to totally exterminate the population. Um, and then he said, and I started that. I've killed eight of my patients and I've sought to transplant cancer into 13 more. Hope you're doing well in Boston, yours sincerely, uh, and just signed off. Uh, we know that because he then left the letter out. It was discovered. It was discovered by the Puerto Rican staff of the hospital where he was working, uh, and it became a national scandal, uh, understandably. Uh, Puerto Ricans had heard the scorn of mainlanders. They'd heard talk of uh, the problem of Puerto Rican overpopulation and how mainlanders disapproved of it. Uh, but here they saw what they interpreted to be the homicidal, racist homicidal intent from a doctor who had actually killed eight people. Um, Cornelius Rhodes uh, left. He just fled the islands, uh, hoping, presumably, that what happens in San Juan stays in San Juan. Um, the government did an investigation. It uncovered another letter, which the governor deemed worse than the first. Uh, but the governor, who was appointed governor, he's a mainlander who's been appointed uh, and not elected, uh, suppressed that letter. We don't have it. We've, we, no researcher has ever seen it or found it. Uh, and uh, concluded, after having suppressed evidence, that Cornelius Rhodes probably didn't kill eight of his patients. He was probably just joking or something like that. Uh, and Cornelius Rhodes never faced a hearing. Not only that, he didn't even get fired. So he returned to New York. Uh, he continued his job. He was quickly... Um, he quickly became the vice president of the New York Academy of Medicine. Uh, and then, during World War II, he uh, became a colonel in the Army and became a uh, chief medical officer in the Chemical Warfare Service. So that's not only a promotion. Just think about what that allows him to do, because the Chemical Warfare Service is preparing the United States uh, to enter a gas war if it comes to that. So in order to do that, it tests out all kinds of poison gas first on animals, goats are preferred, uh, but ultimately on human subjects, on uniformed men who are, without a lot of informed consent, um, either having mustard agents applied to their skin uh, to see how their skin blisters uh, are put in gas chambers with gas masks uh, to see how long they can stay in there. They're locked in there to, until they falter. Uh, or in a lot of cases, there's an island that the United States uses off of Panama, San Jose Island, and men are put in the field and they're asked to sort of stage mock battles. But while they do that, they're gassed from overhead, and then the, you know this is to see how they're affected. After overseeing these medical experiments uh, with gas in which uh, 60,000 uniformed men, a lot of them Puerto Rican, uh, were subjected without informed consent um, to chemical weapons, and 
Many of them suffered debilitating effects as a result of this. Emphysema, uh, eye damage, genital scarring, psychological damage. Uh, some of these men were really harmed by this. Um, nevertheless, uh, that also didn't impede him. Uh, and in fact, some of that work with chemical agents alerted him, as well as some other doctors, to the possibility that mustard agents could be used to treat cancer. Cornelius Rhodes took some of the surplus stock of US uh, chemical weapons after the war and uh, became the first director of the Sloan Kettering Institute uh, and then used his position to sort of launch the, uh, you know, turn to chemotherapy and tried chemical after chemical after chemical out on fighting cancer. The incredible thing is that within the U.S. medical community, that's what he was remembered for. He appeared on the cover of Time magazine. Uh, there was an award given by the American Association of Cancer Research after Cornelius Rhodes. And that award was, award was given for more than 20 years before a Puerto Rican cancer researcher pointed out to the AACR, you know the guy after whom this award is named, the hero Cornelius Rhodes, you know what he did in Puerto Rico? And it had been 23 years. The informational segregation had been so extraordinary that it had been 23 years before the mainland medical community realized that the guy that they'd been enthusiastically celebrating had uh, at least said in the letter that he'd killed eight of his patients. The medical community has, um, you know, now gotten the memo, and there's been uh, the, the award has been uh, changed, and, and now there's an understanding of his dual legacy. But what's extraordinary to me is just how long he got away with it just how long he was able and how many Puerto Ricans he was able to experiment on in some of the worst ways imaginable without facing the consequences of that. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 51 with Waking Up With Mel. And today we are going to get into what exactly these human experiments are about and how far back they go. If you've been with me the last few weeks, we've been talking about MK Ultra, MK standing for Mind Control. Ultra just being one of the many programs under the mind control program that went, I thought, from the 1950s after Operation or Project Paperclip. If, you have, if you're not familiar with any of these terms or any of these operations that our government has done, Operation Paperclip is where they took Nazi Germany doctors who tortured people in concentration camps and brought them over to the United States. But as my research is uncovering, this is going far, far, far back, way further back than World War II. So we're going to start with the Rockefellers because I feel like their institution is a thread you are going to see throughout all the MK Ultra programs and throughout a lot of these human experiments. I'm assuming most of you have heard about the Rockefellers, but for those that haven't, um, they're an American industrial, political, and banking family. They own the world's largest fortunes. The fortune was made in the American petroleum industry, which is now, uh, side note, making the drugs that most of you all are taking. So if you're on any depressant, any anxiety, any uh, birth control, any anything that's not of a plant or herb or something God created, you are taking a petroleum-based drug that the Rockefeller Foundation or Institute or family is backing. So John D. Rockefeller and William A. Rockefeller Jr. 
primarily through Standard Oil, the predecessors of ExxonMobil and Chevron Corporation. So basically, I'm, I'm going to just keep this short. These foals have their hands in everything and they have for a very long time. But starting in 1901, they started this institution. And this is called the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. And it was established in 1901. So while I thought most of these human research things were going on it, like 1950 and forward, I was incorrect. It's been going on. The Rockefellers have had their hand, their money and everything into supporting this quote unquote scientific research on our friends, family and ancestors. And it's absolutely terrible and they need to pay for their crimes against humanity. And so far, nobody's paying for nothing. But times are changing and we're all seeing that and we're all living through it. So they're really into infectious disease, okay? And now let's learn a little bit about, well, I guess we could get further into this institution. So just a little bit more about this institution. You will find this institution linked to many, many universities, but the history of it was it was founded in 1901 uh, by the John D. Rockefeller, who had founded the University of Chicago in 1889. Um, so upon his advisor, Frederick T. Gates, and the action taken March 1901 by his son, John D. Rockefeller Jr., greatly elevating the prestige of American science and medicine. It was American's first biomedical institute, like France Pasteur's Institute, 1888. Now, they have their hands over there in France and over there in Germany and over there. They were causing these people, not just them, and this is my opinion, but I can back it up by a lot of facts. They are the, they caused wars. They are on both sides. They caused famines. They caused depressions, the Great Depression. They take you out of the depression and they put you in the depression and they're doing it right now, this family. They, they're still rich. Nothing has changed. Nothing is new. They've been doing this since 1901. And finally in 2023, I believe their time is up because they are corrupt. And that's what God said. So in 1901, after they founded this institution, just like this other one in France, um, and another one called Robert Koch, K-O-C-H, so Koch, Koch, Koch Institute, 1891. The Rockefeller Foundation, um, founded in, founded in 1913, a separate entity, but it has close connections mediated by prominent figures holding dual positions. Are you guys surprised? The first director of laboratories was Simon Flexner, who supervised the development of research capacity at the Institute, whose staff made major discoveries in basic research and medicine. Mm -hmm. As we heard at the beginning of this podcast, their discoveries in medicine, and as you're going to hear throughout this podcast, is human experiments on people who have no idea they're being experimented on. And the more I'm finding out, the more I'm going to have to do individual podcasts on each of these operations because it just gets so deep. So basically they, they have funded tons and tons and tons of universities, including what's now the Rockefeller university in New York. So let's see the other universities that they have their hands in Harvard Dartmouth College, Princeton University, uh, University of California, Berkeley, Stanford, Yale, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Brown University, Tufts University, Columbia, Cornell, University of Pennsylvania, 
Case Western Reserve University. You're going to see these universities being talked about, especially Stanford, Harvard, a lot, a lot of these, Berkeley. I'm surprised there's not a Boston one on here. But they are going to be talked about throughout all of these MK Ultra programs, all of these researches. You're going to hear testimonies after testimonies if you get deep into this of people, and you're going to hear these universities being mentioned, kids being tortured at them. It's absolutely ins insane. And when the Senate report came out in 1975 that exposed MK Ultra and all this stuff, they advised the Senate committee advised these universities to tell the public their association with MKUltra and what a lot of them did was disassociate with the university and they just then had the medical institute and the university when really they used to be one. It's so interesting. So just remember the name Rockefeller, the Rockefeller Institute as we go along this timeline of human experiments in America and some in Canada. I mean, it goes across Australia everywhere, you guys, but I'm in the U.S. This is where I'm going to start and we'll expand across the pond from here. First, understand the mindset of the people that run these universities, the Rockefellers. You need to understand what eugenics is. If you've never heard of that word, you're in for a fun one here. This is a set of belief that they aim at proving the genetic quality of the human population. So what that really means is they want one race and one race only. And if you have, uh, well, let's just read it. Okay, so this is rooted in a belief that I can't even pronounce, but it's called biological determinist. And what that really means is it's also known as a genetic determinization. <laughs> it is a belief that the human behavior is directly controlled by the individual's genes or some component of their psychology, generally at the expense of the role of the environment, whether embryotic development or learning genetic. The ideas of Sir Francis Galland, which originated in the 1880s. Okay, so 1880s, we're going this far back. In 1883, Sir Francis first used the word eugenics to describe scientifically the bio, bio blah, sorry guys, the biological improvement of genes in human races and the concept of being quote-unquote, well-born. He believed that the differences in a person's ability were acquitted primarily of their genetics and that eugenics could be implemented through selective breeding. And that is a process which humans and animals breed and plant breeding to selectively develop particular traits and characteristics, okay? So in order for the human race to improve in, in overall quality, therefore allowing humans to direct their own evolution, because now we're playing God. So basically this fool, this doctor, uh, G-A-L-T-O-N, Galton, he decided that, you know, you're superior if you're Nordic, German, or Anglo-Saxon, and that anybody else is basically needs to be sterilized. If you're poor, disabled, you're quote unquote immoral. So the American eugenics movement, uh, guess what? We're about to hear a familiar name. Extensive funding from various corporate foundations, including the Carrington Institution, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Harriman Railroad Fortune in 1906. So by 1906, these foundations are funding eugenics, which is forcing people to be sterilized, Okay. So it just goes on and on. But let's hear about some of these 
human experiments that went on. Okay, so we're going to talk about what exactly an unethical human experiment is in the United States. And that word unethical is huge because that means that these are done without the knowledge or informed consent of the test subject. As we learned about Dr. Olson last week, he was given LSD and was pushed out a window after he freaked out on it. He, along with thousands of other Americans, have been killed by our own government in these unethical human experiments. And they are done in operations. And I'm about to read you guys that we can all look up and I'm going to start doing podcasts on lots of these because especially these orphan kids, what the heck? Seriously, how can you be so depraved of mind to do this to these children? It's absolutely unbelievable, let alone adults. I mean, it's not okay to do to anybody, but let's start here. Let's start with surgical experiments. Okay, 1840. There's a guy named J. Maron Sims, and he is often referred to as the father of gynecology. And he performs surgical experiments on enslaved African women without anesthesia. Okay, we're going to give him a little credit. There wasn't a lot of anesthesia being used then, but one of them was operated on 30 times. And she suffered infections, as many would pro probably assume she would. The period which he operated on enslaved women between 1845 and 1849 was one during which the new practice of anesthesia was not accepted safe and effective. Uh, to test one of his theories about the causes of this TRISMUS, which is commonly called lockjaw associated with tetanus, um, had been claimed that he addicted the women in his surgical experiments to morphine, only providing the drug after surgery was already complete to make them more compliant. Okay. Are you right? Are you okay. So he was, of course, supported by using opium and Sims name lives on. And I was reading this the other day and I know there's a Sims building here in Albuquerque. I'm just not sure if it's named after this guy, but I think it is. I'm going to have to go find out. So then in 1874, there's this Mary Rafferty. She's an Irish servant woman. And she came to this guy named Dr. Roberts of the Good Samaritan Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she came for treatment because she had a lesion on her head. Well, he decided that that was a cancerous ulcer and he did surgery, but then he decided she was terminal. Okay. So he just decides all this for her. So he decides this is a great I'm going to just do some research on this. This is a great opportunity to do some research. So this unwitting, un, well, she didn't elect for this. Listen to what he did to her. He inserted electroid needles into her exposed brain matter to gauge her responses. This was done with no intention of treating her. He came, when she came out of the coma, she died three days later. Okay. So this is quote, a quote out of his actual experiment report. And if you got queasy stomachs, you might not want to hear this. When the needle entered the brain substance, she complained of acute pain in the neck. To develop more decided reactions, the strength of the current was increased. Okay, so you didn't just take it out, bro. You increased it? Okay. Her countenance exhibited great distress and she began to cry. So again, you didn't take it out. <laughs> Very soon, the left hand was extended as if in the act of holding some object in front of her. The arm presently was agitated with clonic 
spasms. Her eyes became fixed with pupils widely dilated because you're killing her, dude. Lips were blue. She frothed at the mouth. Her breathing became sterendous. She lost consciousness as when, and was violently convulsed on the left side. The convulsions lasted five minutes and was succeeded by a coma. Okay. And then she died. <sighs> so guess who does the autopsy? The same guy that kills her. And then guess who, what he said she dies of? Not of the electrodes that he stuck in her brain. She died of cancer, he says. Okay. It's, you can't make this up. And you guys, this is in 1874. 18. Yeah, you heard me. 1874. Okay. So this is like my grandfather's time. So then the American Medi Medical Association, they formally condemn his experiment as he has caused direct harm to the patient, not an attempt to treat her, but solely to gain knowledge. Additional issues were raised with the um, consent obtained because he didn't get any. Although she gave a cheerful assent to the procedure, she described as feeble-minded. Okay. So anyways, he it goes on. So now they've got another doctor. 1896. And I find this so interesting how they always have the word doctor in front of them. The other day I was at the grocery store and they had an article about quote unquote Dr. Jill Biden. And I laughed so hard I took a screenshot. I'm like, <laughs> can we all be doctors? I'm Dr. Melody, okay? Dr. Mel coming at you with the this week's Real History podcast telling you about what these real idiot doctors do to you. So let's listen to what this doctor did. In 1896, Dr. Arthur Wentworth performed spinal taps on 29 young children without the knowledge or consent of their parents Parents at the Children's Hospital, now called the Boston Children's Hospital. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that same hospital is cutting private parts off children, but I could be wrong. I know one of those big time hospitals is, is all down for doing that. And I can tell you, and I can promise you no kid wants to even get a vaccine, let alone their private part cut off. So if that's happening to them, it's human torture. We've talked about this before. Okay. So, uh, he goes ahead and does that to these kids without the parents' consent. So, yeah, no big deal here. From 1913 to 1951, Dr. Leo Stanley, chief surgeon at the San Quinn Prison, they also love – now I see why they like to lock people up because they're, they're like free guinea pigs to these, to these sickos. So at the San Quentin Prison, they performed a wide variety of experiments on hundreds of prisoners at the San Quentin Many of the experiments involved testicular implants. You heard that, right? Yep. Guess what they did with their testicles? They would <laughs> take the prisoners, surgically implant them, like, so they'd take testicles out of a dead prisoner, and they would surgically implant them into a living one. And other experiments, they attempted to, I don't know what attempted exactly means, because it obviously means it didn't work, but they did it anyway. To implant testicles of rams, goats, and boars into living prisoners. Could you imagine, y'all? God only knows what these prisoners were told. Hey, we're going to just take you in for a standard, uh, you know, procedure here. And next thing they know, their, their nuts are falling off because they're filled with pigs' balls. Uh, I, I wish I was making this up, but this was a 19... 13 to 1951 count those years that's not a small amount of time y'all do you know anybody that was in san quentin prison at those times because i would love to have some testimony 
And if you're alive in 1951, there's a possibility you're still alive now. 1913, probably not so much. All right. Well, anyways, Stanley believed that his experiments would juvenate old men, control crime, which he believed had biological causes because, you know, we're into eugenics of these sickos and prevent the unfit from reproducing. Okay. So here's another one. This, this is the last one for, for hospital stuff for now. From 1955 to 1960, Sonoma State Hospital in Northern California served as a permanent drop-off location for mentally disabled children diagnosed with cerebral, cerebral, I can't even say the word right now, but I know the word, cerebral palsy or lesser disorders. Okay. Wow. The children subsequently underwent painful experiments, sweet babies, without adult consent. Many were given spinal taps for which they received no direct benefit. Reports of 60 Minutes learned that in these five years, the brains of every child with cerebral, why can't I say that, palsy, who died at Sonoma State, was removed and studied without parental consent. All right. I want to jump back real quick to who we started this podcast with because this doctor in the 1930s decided it was going to be a good idea to go to Panama, inject cancer into people and watch them die and later come back and and have all of us Americans to this day take chemo. So the same guy that injected cancer into people in 1930s invented chemo and that is ridiculous to think I don't even know why we trust these guys so much. Why do we trust them so much? Ask ourselves this. I, I constantly am asking myself, why does someone trust someone in a white coat so much when they have been indoctrinated by these Rockefeller institutions to do that, to have done crimes against humanity since the 1900s that do not care about people, zero, that are taught in medicine that is made petroleum based. They honestly have... There, have you guys heard how they arrested doctors who were still practicing herbs, herbology, and, you know, they would arrest them. Much like now in 2023, where they can't come get everybody that wants to speak truth, they just delete you. They want only one narrative told and one narrative only. And back then, they were able to do way more undercover because people were so trusting we hadn't gone through you know people people in in the core of their heart are good people the only reason people turn bad is because somebody somewhere somebody hurt them and and it's it put up a defense a wall a mechanism and these rockefellers they're good at it and i'll tell you what they are after the the black race absolutely 100 percent after them since the 1900s or before as we've already established uh, in 1930s, he went ahead and gave a bunch of people cancer. So during his early years with the Rockefeller Institute, Rhodes specialized in anemia and leukemia, working for six months in Puerto Rico in 1932 as part of the Rockefeller Foundation Inter International Health Board contingent. All right. So then after he went ahead and got busted for giving all these people cancer guess what happened after that if you guessed he was arrested and put in prison the rest of your life you were absolutely incorrect he was in 1940 several years later he was elected as the director of the memorial hospital 
Mm-hmm. And he was... D- devoted to cancer care and research and had recently moved into a new building. Rhodes was selected for his interest in clinical investigation in addition to laboratory research as the hospital did research as well as treatment. As I mentioned, chemo was one of them. And he also specialized in uh, using mustard gas on people because yeah, that was a good time for him too. So um, yeah, we got this guy going ahead and getting premieres and promotions and all the things and magazines and and the beat goes on and let's talk about this next little scandal that happened oh we have to add this one there's one more quick little nugget about this uh Rhodes dude in 1945 the Sloan Kettering K-E-T-T-E-R-I-N-G Institute was founded as a cancer research center and I just, in case you weren't sure, guess who served as their first director? You guessed it. Mr. Rhodes. What a good dude this guy was. So you know what? Cornelius P. Rhodes, R-H-O-A-D-S. I hope you're where uh, you belong. But that's between you and God, not me and you. We got Cornelius Rhodes over here making sure he's in control of cancer from 1931. Well, let's move to 1932 in a different part of our country. And we're going to learn about the Tuscany syphilis study. And this study is absolutely messed up. And basically what the U.S. government did here with syphilis is they didn't treat these men and watch them die. But instead of me telling you, I'm going to have you listen to this cool testimony that I found back in 2020. I've looked everywhere for it. So the recording might not be the best because it's straight up off my phone, but you have to hear it. And I love it. Well, I don't love what they did, but I love the way this doctor explains how the CDC morphed, what they did, how um, they are in, in this doctor and my opinion in complete complete blame for autism the cdc yeah you heard it i blame the vaccines for autism and so does this doctor and so do many other parents that have watched their children completely go mute after the mmr shot but that's a whole nother podcast oh my god i cannot believe we did what we did um but we did and it's really it's all there it's all there this is a real story of a real fraud. That's the lowest point in my career that I went along with that paper. Deliberate, high-level deception of the American people with disastrous consequences for its children's health. In order to give context to the extraordinary story that you're about to hear, a little historical perspective is important. Many of you will have heard of Tuskegee. Dirt poor sharecroppers in Macon County, Alabama black men with syphilis. From 1932, 339 men were told by the Public Health Service, the forerunner of today's CDC, that they had bad blood. The motive of public health doctors was to study the natural history of syphilis in the black man. Natural history in this case means deliberately untreated. These men were deliberately left untreated even when something as effective as penicillin came along. Worse still, those infected were actively prevented by public health doctors from getting this life-saving drug. 
Men suffered and died. Women continued being infected and babies continued to be born with congenital syphilis. A shiny new CDC took over in the late 1960s, refused to stop the experiment. Not until every last man had been opened up on their autopsy table. The experiment was stopped, not because the CDC realized the barbaric nature of their enterprise, but because a whistleblower by the name of Peter Buxton leaked the story to a, to a journalist at the Washington Star. The story was published on July 25, 1972, hit the front page of the New York Times, and the experiment was stopped shortly thereafter. Congressional hearings followed. So unethical, so inhumane was this public health experiment that it led to a change in the CDC's code of medical ethics. Except it didn't. This demonic experiment started, as I stated, in 1932. Oh my gosh. And this was a time when there was no cure for syphilis. It was a very uh, contagious venereal disease. If you had a kid and you had it, your kids would be could be blinded from it. It could affect their mouths. That's why to this day they give kids uh, hepatitis, I think it's A or B, one of the shots, when they're born, um, which is so stupid because they're the ones that did this experiment. But anyways, so what they did is after being recruited with the promise of free medical care, 600 African-American men in Macon, M-A-C-O-N County, Alabama, were enrolled in this project. So there's one goal of this project and just one, and that was to see what the full progression of this disease would do. So these participants, they were primarily sharecroppers, and many had never before even went to a doctor. Doctors from the U.S. Public Health Service, PHS, which was running the study, and as we heard in that thing, was later called the CDC, um, informed the participants, 399 men, with latent syphilis, a control group of 201 others who were free of the disease. They were being treated for bad blood. So they told all these guys that they were being treated for, quote-unquote, bad blood. Could you imagine? You guys got bad blood. What's that? Th what is that even supposed to mean? Another eugenics term, may I suggest? A term commonly used in the area at the time to refer to a variety of elements. The men were monitored by health workers, but only given placebos such as aspirin and mineral supplements, despite the fact that penicillin became recommended to treat syphilis in 1947. Say that five times fast. Syphilis, 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 syphilis in 1947. Some 15 years into the study, pH researchers convinced local physicians in Macoon County not to treat the participants. And instead, research was done at the Tuscany Institute, now called Tuscany, guess what, University, of course. The school was founded in 1881 with Brooker T. Washington as its first teacher. Be fun to do a little research on you, Brooker. Booker, B-O-O-K. It's not Brooker, it's Booker. Okay. In order to track the disease full progression, researchers provided no effective care as the men died, went blind, or insane, or experienced other severe health problems due to their untreated syphilis. Can you imagine? 
how can you watch people? I couldn't, I mean, in my human heart, there's no way I could watch somebody knowingly that I have a treatment that could be cured in the couple days die and go insane. Can you imagine? So this, as I mentioned, you guys, this started in the 1930s. A lot of these projects spanned 30 or more years. So this one, by the mid-1960s, a PHS venereal disease investigator in San Francisco named Peter Buxton found out about the study and expressed his concerns to his superiors that it was unethical, you think? In response, the PHS officials formed a committee to review the study, but ultimately opted to continue it with the goal of tracking the participants until they had all died. Autopsies were performed on the project data, which is a human, could be analyzed. Buxton then leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to a fellow reporter, Jean Heller, at the Associated Press. Heller broke the story in July of 1972, prompting public outrage and forcing the study to finally shut down. Oh, my good Lord. So from 1930, what was it, five or let me get the exact date here. God, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I, I, 32, 1932. Okay, so from 1932 to 1972, they watched these men die. And their families and their kids and whoever else those families and kids grew up to marry and have sex with. Like this wasn't just as okay, anyways, I could go off. Okay. This is hard for me. I hope it's hard for you too, because this is absolutely insane. By that time, twenty eight participants had perished from syphilis, a hundred more had passed away from related complications. 40 spouses have diagnosed with it, and the disease had been passed to 19 children at birth. And I bet those aren't even accurate numbers. In 1973, our good old Congress held hearings, because they love to hold hearings, on Tus- Tuscany experiments. And the following year, the study of the surviving participants, along with the heirs of those who died, received $10 million of out-of-court settlements. Additionally, new guidelines were issued to protect human subjects in the U.S. government-funded research projects. As a result of Tuscany experiment, many African Americans developed a lingering deep mistrust of the public health officials and vaccines. In order to foster healing on this horrible thing, President Bill Clinton, who was then loved by the American public, issued a 1997 apology, which we are going to now listen to, if you can stomach it. If Bill Clinton's voice makes you feel like you're listening to uh, fingernails on a chalkboard, then come back in three minutes and 27 seconds. Otherwise, you're about to hear a political uh, lip service by Bill Clinton to this family that's standing in front of him that went through this hell. The eight men who are survivors of the syphilis study at Tuskegee are a living link. Okay, I'm pausing real quick because I know I've been saying Tusky or Tusk. I don't even know what I just have been calling it. I know I called it wrong. I know I say a lot of things incorrectly, but I hope you get the joint, the gist of everything because that's the whole point, right? Just to inform people, wake people up, not to speak Tuskegee perfectly. Sorry to interrupt you, Mr. President. I'm not so very long ago that many Americans would prefer not to remember, but we dare not forget. 
It was a time when our nation failed to live up to its ideals. Ideals. When our nation broke the trust with our people that is the very foundation of our democracy. It is not only in remembering that shameful past that we can make amends and repair our nation, but it is in remembering that past that we can build a better present and a better future. And without remembering it, we cannot make amends and we cannot go forward. So today, America does remember the hundreds of men used in research without their knowledge and consent. We remember them and their family members, men who were poor and African-American, without resources and with few alternatives. They believed they had found hope when they were offered free medical care by the United States Public Health Service. They were betrayed. Medical people are supposed to help when we need care. But even once a cure was discovered, they were denied help and they were lied to by their government. Our government is supposed to protect the rights of its citizens. Their rights were trampled upon. Forty years, hundreds of men betrayed, along with their wives and children, along with a community in Macon County, Alabama, the city of Tuskegee, the fine university there, and the larger African-American community. The United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It was an outrage to our commitment to integrity and equality for all our citizens. To the survivors, to the wives and family members, the children and the grandchildren, I say what you know. No power on earth can give you back the lives lost, the pain suffered, the years of internal torment and anguish. What was done cannot be undone. But we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the American people, what the United States government did was shameful. And I am sorry. In 2004, the final victim of that, that study passed away. So you would think, you know, that would be the only president you would ever hear for apologizing for unethical syphilis studies. But nope. In 2010, Barack Obama and other federal officials apologized for another U.S.-sponsored experiment conducted decades earlier in Guatemala. But this was after the Tuskegee experiment. So... In 1946 to 1948, nearly 700 men and women, prisoners, soldiers, and mental patients were infected intentionally with syphilis. hundred more were exposed to other sexual transmitted diseases as part of the study without their knowledge or consent. The purpose of the study was to determine whether penicillin could prevent not just cure syphilis. So now they just, now that they got penicillin, they want to see, oh, can we prevent it? 
Let's try this again. Let's try this Tuskegee thing, but this time let's take it a little further. Let's go over uh, to Guatemala and give it a shot over there. So let's listen to if President Obama's speech is exactly the same or did they switch it up? Because I don't know if you've caught it lately. These guys get the same speeches and they just regurgitate them over and over and over again because no one really pays attention because they're so boring and unheartfelt. They didn't write that. They had some writer. They don't care. They're part of it. Like, uh. I searched high and low for the video of Obama apologizing, but guess who he had apologize? You guessed it. Bill Clinton's wife, Hill. Again, if I don't know if she's going to speak because I haven't listened to this whole thing. This is the only one like video I could even remotely find talking about this. So interesting. 2010 flashback. Here you go. Smartran News Reuters is reporting that the United States officially apologized Friday for a 1940s experiment that government medical researchers conducted on Guatemalan prison inmates. In the study, researchers knowingly infected prisoners with syphilis and tested the effectiveness of penicillin on the sexually transmitted disease. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius, along with other government officials, issued an apology statement. The statement reads, quote, the sexually transmitted disease inoculation study conducted from 1946 to 1948 in Guatemala was clearly unethical. Although these events occurred more than 64 years ago, we are outraged that such reprehensible research could have occurred under the guise of public health. We deeply regret that it happened and we apologize to all the individuals who were affected by such abhorrent research practices. The experiment, which bears similarity to the 1960s Tuskegee study that left African-American men untreated for syphilis, was discovered by Susan Reverby, a professor of women's studies at Wellesley College in Massachusetts. I'm Chrissy Duffy for Smart Trend News. For okay, so now we know a little bit of what's gone on before World War II, but there's even more. Can you believe it? There's even more. So let's talk about it. Um, in 1880, in Hawaii and California, a physician working at a hospital for lepers injected six girls under the age of 12 with syphilis. So, they were doing this in 1880, guys. Yeah. In 1895, New York pediatrician Henry Hyman intentionally infected two mentally disabled boys, one four years old and the other 16 years old, with gonorrhea, as part of a medical experiment, a review of the medical literature in the late 19th and early 20th, 20th centuries found more than 40 reports of experimental infections with gonorrheal culture, including some where gonorrhea organisms were applied to the eyes of sick children. Let's all take a deep breath together real quick. This is unbelievable to me. I don't know why, because they just torch literally Maui with direct energy weapons. So, and then I believe they just did that over that concert in Jerusalem from the little I've researched, which I haven't researched any because there's so much I can't even keep up anymore. But look, what's nothing new under the sun? This has all been going on since 1880. No wonder people thought Jesus is coming all this time. The U.S. Army doctrine in the Philippines infected five prisons with prisoners with the bubonic plague and induced, I don't, okay, I'm going to spell this word and then I'm going to tell you what it means. So, and induced B-E-R-I-B-E-R-I, -E -E 
furabi. This is a thymine deficiency. It is a medical condition of low levels of vitamin B. A severe chronic form is known as burabi. The two main types in adults are wet burabi and dry burabi. Wet burabi affects the cardiovascular system, resulting in fast heart and shortness of breath. Is this not insane that they did this on purpose to people? Well, I'm, why am I keep saying that? I don't know. Only did you get the shortness of breath. You also got some leg swelling. The dry burabi, burabi, like I said, I don't know how to pronounce that, affects the nervous system, resulting in numbness of the hands and feet, confusion, trouble moving the legs, and pain. A form of loss of appetite, constipation may also occur. Another type of acute burabi, found mostly in babies, presents the loss of appetite, vomiting, lactic acidosis, changes in heart rate, and enlargement of heart. Risk factors include diet of mostly white rice, alcoholism, dialysis, chronic diarrhea, and taking high doses of diuretics. In rare cases, it may be due to genetic condition that results in difficulties of absorbing thymine found in food. Or, this is a side note from Melody, <laughs> Miss Me, it could be from the government doing it to you on purpose in the Philippines. I mean, you know, we got that too. Okay. So they did this to 29 prisoners. Four of the test subjects died as a result. In 1906, Professor Richard, oh, so we got professors and doctors here, Richard P. Strong of Harvard University intentionally infected 24 Filipino prisoners with chorea, which had somehow become contaminated with the bubonic plague somehow. <laughs> This is so insane. Now, chlorea, C-H-O-L-E-R-A, is an infection of the small intestine. Um, so, yeah, they went ahead and did that for fun to prisoners. So, this is insane to me. Uh, he did this without consent of the patients and without informing them of what he was doing. All the subjects became sick and 13 died. In 1908, three Philadelphia researchers researchers infected dozens of children with the tuberculin at St. Vincent Orphanage in Philadelphia. And I'm going to pause right here. I am going to do a whole episode next week about these orphan projects, how the orphans even came about, orphan trains. It's going to, I don't know how deep we'll get. It's probably like everything going to be a multiple part episode. But what I'm thinking is I'm going to take things we're learning here and dive a deeper podcast into them because there's so many things that have popped up that I didn't even know existed. And they all happened before MK Ultra. So it's super, super important to learn the real history because they don't teach us this in schools because they want us to be brainwashed. And I found an article dated in 1916 that I'll spare you the whole length of, but it basically says in order to achieve our goal as a public education system, we must break a will of a child and make them be under our thumb, basically. And that's what they've done. So at this orphanage, they uh, induced dozens of kids, which is known as a purified protein derivative. So it's called tuberculin, T-U-B-E-R-C-U-L-I-N. So it is a combination of proteins that are used to diagnose diagnosis of tuberculosis. Why, Lord, why are people so evil? So they purposely injected these children in Philadelphia orphanage with tuberculosis. 
causing permanent blindness in some children, painful lesions, and inflammation of the eyes in many others. In the study, they referred to the children as material used. In 1909, Frank, good name for this dude, Crazier Knowles, that's a great name for him. Good old crazy Frank thought it would be a great idea in 1909 and published the study that he was about to do in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And he was describing how he deliberately infected two children in an orphanage with what they call water warts. It's a viral infection of the skin that results in small raised pink lesions with dimples in the center. They may become itchy or sore and occur singularly or in groups. Okay, so he does this on purpose. <laughs> a virus that... Okay, so I just read that to you. Okay, so in 1911, Dr. Hideo, H-I-D-E-Y-O-N-O-G-U-C-H-I of... Oh, guess what? Institute, you guys. Can you guess? Yes, good job. Rockefeller Institute in Manhattan, New York City, injected 146 patients, some who are children, with... Syphilis. Why do they love giving people syphilis? Because it makes people go nuts. That's why. It's absolutely. I bet that's what they did to Al Capone in prison. Didn't he die of syphilis? He didn't die of syphilis according to the records, but he did get syphilis. Guess where? In jail. <laughs> but it was a total accident. From that wonderful experiment, all these syphilis experiments they love to do, we went on to uh, Tuskegee. Tuske I still can't say it right. Um, uh, you know, the clinical study that was done from the 1932 to 1972. We've talked about that in length. Then we jump to 1940s. Okay, we're getting close to World War II. In 1941, at another university, this time in Michigan, Thomas France, Francis and Jonas Stock, I feel like I've talked about them before, and other researchers deliberately infected patients at several Michigan mental institutions with influenza virus by spraying the virus into their nasal passages. Francis Pinion Roos, R-O-U-S, based at the Rockefeller Institute. They're there everywhere, aren't they? And the editor of the journal Experimental Medicine wrote the following to Francis regarding the experiments. It may save you much trouble if you publish your paper dot 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 elsewhere than in the journal of Experimental Medicine, period. The journal is under constant scrutiny by the anti-vivicinist who would not hesitate to play up the fact that you used your test, human beings, of a state institution. That the tests were wholly justified goes without saying. Rous, R-O-U-S, closely monitored the articles he published since the 1930s, when, he, when the revival of the anti-vivicinist movement raised pressure against a certain human experimentation. I gotta find out what that word means. Go, go those anti viva session okay spelled v-i-v-i-s-e-c-t-i-o-n and it means the opposed to experimentation on living animals especially when considered to cause pain or distress to the subject so they're doing this to humans no wonder they were upset about it so the same year 1941 dr william c black inoculated a 12 month old baby with herpes who was quote-unquote offered as a volunteer, unquote. He submitted his research to the Journal of Experimental Medicine, which rejected the findings due to the ethical questionable research methods used to the study. 
Okay. So let's move to the penitentiary. So another podcast we need to do is all about penitentiary. So there's this penitentiary called Stateville Penitentiary. This was an MK Ultra study. That might not surprise some of you. Some of you might be like, really? Are you serious? But let's talk about the facts of the matter. In 1944, so this is during the war, they decided that we need to figure out how to help with this malaria problem that we were having in the war. So in the university, another university of Chicago, they decided that they were going to test treatments on these prisoners at Stateville Penitentiary in Illinois. This MK Ultra study, one of 149 some projects, they did many experiments um, infecting people with infected mosquitoes. And I want to, I want to say that this isn't the only, just like syphilis, there's many, many, many documentations, uh, projects, we'll go over a few more before this podcast is over, of giving people diseases with mosquitoes. And I find that very interesting because this year, the government, aka whoever Bill Gates is playing to be right now, it is releasing mosquitoes on us. I live in a state in Albuquerque where in 22 years of living here, not once have we had a mosquito infestation like we have this year. It is now the middle of October. It's getting very, very cold, and they're still flying around my house. It is the most bizarre, weird, genetically modified mosquito I have ever seen in my entire life. And after doing a lot of research this last week, I'm like, oh, look, nothing new under the sun. So... Before I end with the this Statesville experiment, it's it's noteworthy to mention that the Nuremberg trials brought up this experiment saying, hey, you guys did it in the U.S. on your prisoners. Why are you mad at us for doing it in Germany to our prisoners? <laughs> Good defense, right? Yeah, it was. But let me remind you, if you've forgotten, there's there's one side. There's this New World Order side. And us, people that are starting to wake up, and people who have been awake, and people who have sacrificed their life to try to wake people up these last 100, 200 years. I mean, this has been, this is absolutely insane with this family Rockefeller institution, their family, their funds, their money has funded. And all the people they've killed, they have so much blood on their hands, some of the members of that family. So much. I'm finding con conflicting information regarding when this project actually started at Statesville Penitentiary. Some are saying it actually started in the 1940s, which makes sense because the Nuremberg trials were in 1946. So they probably did these malaria studies on these people for several years like they do all the time, right? If they could have got away with it, they probably would have done it much longer. But Listen to who participated in the study besides just the penitentiary and the University of Chicago. Also, the United States Army was a part of it, and so was the U.S. State Department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I want to talk about a few other scenarios where they conducted biological war uh, warfare on their own U.S. people. And I find this very interesting. So one of them is called Operation Sea Spray. I'm noticing a lot of cities that are under attack are San Francisco and California and New York. Not any particular city because probably New York's an island so it's easy just to get them all. But 
San Francisco isn't quite an island, but it is uh, coastal and there's lots of winds there and things like that. So operations sea spray what that did is it gave numerous citizens pneumonia like illnesses and at least one person died as a result the family of the person who died sued the government for gross negligence but the federal judge ruled in favor of the government in 1981 they kept they kept testing this until at least 1969 so they did this warfare attack I mean, we're, they're still spraying chemtrails. If you're not awake to that, then wake the heck up because they've been doing it since 1950 at least, right? So, and they're and they're calling it Operation Sea Spray, which was a 1950 U.S. Navy secret biological warfare experiment in which S E R R A T I A, mascos some some crap they made and bolluscus something bacteria were sprayed over San Francisco Bay Area in California in order to determine how vulnerable the city could be. Yeah. Wouldn't you be happy to live there and not know that's happening to you? Speaking of, if you live in Albuquerque, you know how many people I know have long-term coughs right now, including a few people in my family that we need to all pray for health because I know they did something. It was weird how everybody all of a sudden got this cough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just an accident. From 1950 to 1972, mentally disabled children at Willowbrook State School in Staten Island, New York, were intentionally infected with the viral hepatitis. So they love giving people STDs, especially kids that have no parents. And they did this for research purposes to help discover, you guessed it, a vaccine. From 1963 to 1966, Saul Krugman, a New York University of New York University, promised the parents of a mentally disabled children that their children would be enrolled into Willowbrook in exchange for signing the consent form for some procedures he claimed were quote unquote vaccinations. In reality, the procedure involved deliberately infecting children with hepatitis by feeding them an extract made from feces of patients infected with the disease. These people are sick, as Trump constantly tells us. Another funny thing, i that's not even funny, another annoying thing is they love calling themselves these torture chamber places, institutes, which they are, institutes of hell, and universities. Again, universities of indoctrination and torture. In 1952, Chester M. South, Southam, a Salon Ketterting Institute researcher, injected, oh, here we go again with cancer, injected live cancer cells known as HeLa cells into prisoners at Ohio State Penitentiary. Here we go with another penitentiary. God. And cancer patients, help us, please, Lord. Jeez Louise. <sighs> Can you believe this, you guys? Like, seriously. These are doctors. They're putting people in prison to quote unquote rehabilitate them when they're really just lab rats now at the state at the hands of the state. Probably for like I said a, a bag of weed when they're over there molesting children. It's absolutely not okay. So, they're over there in the penitentiary in Ohio shooting up people with cancer. Uh they did 300 healthy females were injected with live cancer cells without being told. The doctor stated that they knew at the time it might cause cancer. Mm-hmm. 
We talked about Frank Olson. He was the CIA agent who was dosed with LSD uh, with that experiment, with MK Ultra experiment. Um, let's see. Let's get down to the Church of Scientology, who I believe is somehow tied with the CIA, conducted an open-air biological warfare experiment in 1955 near Tampa, Florida, a, and elsewhere in Florida with whooping cough bacteria. It was alleged that the experiment experiment tripled the whooping cough infections in Florida to over 1,000 cases and caused whooping cough deaths in the state to increase from 1 to 12 over the previous year. So one death to 12 from the year before. This claim has been cited in a number of latter sources, although these added no further supporting evidence. And I just want to say that interesting how they do this in Florida, too. Because they released a bunch of mosquitoes publicly 2023 in Florida. Yeah, we're releasing these mosquitoes. And here's why, guys. Because we're going to release these genetically modified male mosquitoes to mate with some female ones so they don't get you sick. Can you just leave nature alone, whoever's doing this? So here's some more operations that go on in the 1950s that I had never heard of before that I'd like to do more research into. But the podcast is getting long. So we should probably, you know, find a place to end. But it's so hard because this is a never-ending story over here. So during the 1950s, the U.S. or the U.S. United States conducted a series of field tests of EUs, and what that is, it's a type of weapon, a biological warfare that uses insects to interrupt the supply lines by damaging crops or to directly harm enemy combats and civilian populations. There's been several programs which have attempted to institute this, okay? So one of them was called Operation Big Itch. And this was a warfare to test using uninfected fleas to determine their coverage and survivability. Next on the list of how can the U.S. be more effed up, we got more mosquitoes. So this one was called, uh, this was done in 1955. Uh, 300,000 supposedly uninfected mosquitoes were dropped over parts of the U.S. state of Georgia to determine if the airdrop mosquitoes could survive to take meals from humans. <laughs> the mosquito tests were known as Operation Big Buzz. They're so cute with their little names, aren't they? The U.S. engaged in at least two other testing operations using the lovely use of these EW weapons. So those are, by definition, a type of biological warfare that's used insects to interrupt the supply lines, damage crops. We already talked about that. But just in case you didn't hear it, there's a second time what an EW is. So an EW is very different than what a uh, direct energy weapon is, a do. Uh, so you had the D on front of that and then we got the do. So they love theirs do's and oo's and all their stuff because they suck. So they have the operation drop kick, which was, um, concluded between April and November of 1956. And this little operation was to see, uh, how mosquitoes carry this agent, this EW agent in different ways. And so they tested this on female mosquitoes this time. Um, so if you want to learn more about Operation Dropkick, there's not really a whole lot I can find on it. But basically, 
um, the chemical corpse released uninfected female mosquitoes into residential area of Savannah, Georgia, whose residents had agreed to participate in the project. Okay, I would like to see that that a uh, waiver. And then the estimate and then estimated how many mosquitoes entered houses and bit people. Within a day, many reports of mosquito bites were received. In 1958, the chemical corpse released 100,000 mosquitoes in a park in Florida, Avon Park in Florida. These tests showed that mosquitoes could spread by means of various disease. <laughs> so guess what? They did a movie about this in 1964, and the movie's called Dr. Strangelove, and it refers to uh, Operation Dropkick in that movie. Are you? Are we surprised? They love to mock us. Another operation uh, done was called Operation Mayday, and you guessed it. These this time they dropped in Savannah, Georgia, yellow fever mosquitoes in the urban area. I wonder if these people signed a waiver too. And that's the thing. If you go to a neighborhood, let's say it's your bros. Hey, bros, they're all in the government together. Will you say that you're agreeing to this experiment? Yeah, sure. You have no control over how far those mosquitoes go. And as they did other tests, they know they go. <sighs> so stupid. So this yellow fever mosquito uh, was released from ground level in Savannah, Georgia, and then recovered using tra trap baits with dry ice. The operation was detailed partially in a declassified army report in 1981. So we got Operation Big Bug, Big Itch, Dropkick. Good times. So that's what they were doing to us with mosquitoes. And currently in 2023, as I stated, there's a mosquito problem in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I wonder what they call this operation. I can't wait to find out the name. So along with orphan children, along with penitentiaries, we also need to do some major investigations and podcasts into these hospitals. Uh, in 1963, 22 elder elderly patients at the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, were injected with, again, live cancer cells. This is insanity. Chester M. Southham, who in 1952 had done the same to prisoners in Hawaii, in Hawaii, in Ohio. <laughs> oh, gosh. He, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to discover the secret of how healthy bodies fight the invasion of malignant cells. The administration of the hospital attempted to cover the study up, but the New York Medical Licensing Board ultimately placed Southham on probation for one year. But hold your pants up, hold up. Two years later, the American Cancer Society elected him as their vice president. <laughs> and they're not in prison, how? But your uncle or grandfather or father is locked up for what? Yeah, I question all these things now. So from the EWs, we get the dues that we've talked about with the Maui fires and all the other weapons. I mean, these weapons, they just go on and on. Now they call these weapons of mass destruction. But these human experiments, they keep going from radiation experiments to radioactive iodine to uranium to plutonium experiments to uh, experiments involving other radioactive materials to other just crazy research and experiments they did did and still continue to do, including the COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine, that was an experiment. That's still to this day, I do not believe FDA approved yet. Because it's an experiment that people are willing to do 
people are on their fifth time, sixth time of doing that in a matter of three years. You know how many people I've seen drop dead? In my own family, my mom was a family of 12 children. There's three girls and the rest are boys. And out of all those boys, none of them have passed until after those vaccines. And within, from 2020, I saw every single one of them at the family reunion we had during the middle of COVID. We all went to a family. Nobody got sick, nothing. COVID vaccine comes out. Half of them, most of them, I think, took it. Three of them ended up dead with heart problems, most of them. I think all of them died with heart problems. So if you think they're not doing experiments on our children with vaccines right now, on you with vaccines right now, with chemtrails, with our fluoride in our water, with everything, then think again, sisters and brothers, because they are attacking us left and right. But we have some good news, and the good news is God. And he is our protector, and he can take care of us. But you know what he can't do is with the sleeping children that aren't even asking him for help. It's like it's like we're walking in the middle of the freeway expecting the cars not to hit us, not even asking God to stop the traffic. You know what I mean? Like the traffic needs to stop. This needs to stop. And these tests went on and on and on. So to end this, we're going to just talk about all these operations in case some of you want to research some of them. Um, because we did start this podcast or these the series with MK Ultra, which is mind control. Ultra, I'm finding out, is just one sub project. There's, like I said before, 149 little different projects, which went all across Canada, Australia, all over Japan, Vietnam, like our Germany, our government was all over the place. I just learned about this crazy little uh, German place in Chile where they were doing crazy experiments on people. Uh, I mean, this, they, they went throughout our entire world and they did this so secretly and used people because we were completely naive to evil, completely naive to the satanic agenda, completely naive to these disembodied giant spirits that are trying to find a place to possess through human beings that are more than willing to do the dirty work of the devil. It's absolutely insane how deep this runs and the Rockefellers and your institutes. We see you. We'll put links to everything that I have shared today. So you guys can do further research and just dig in. But we went from that 1940, 400 prisoners in Chicago affected with malaria to 1942. They do a chemical warfare service that begins with mustard gas experiments on approximately 4,000 servicemen. The experiments will continue in 1945, and they made use of Seventh-day Adventists who chose to become human guinea pigs rather than serve on active duty. In 1943, in response to Japan's full-scale germ warfare program, the U.S. begins research on biological weapons at Fort Dedrick, Maryland. You will hear Fort Dedrick a lot, a lot. In 1944, U.S. Navy uses human subjects to test gas masks and clothing. Individuals were locked in gas chambers and exposed to mustard gas. And now a lot of these that I'm reading you are parts of um, MK Ultra projects. So 1945, we've talked about Project Paperclip. It's initiated. That's when they took uh, Nazi scientists and offered them, and I thought they were doctors, but they're scientists, and offer them immunity um, and secret identities in exchange for work on top secret government projects. You will hear the name Dr. White, Dr. Green, and he was one of these Nazi scientists, doctor people 
that was brought over to Stanford University Institute and did horrible things to kids. In 1945, Program F is implemented by the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission. Uh, this is the most extensive U.S. study of the health effective of fluoride. Uh, so the health effects, excuse me, of fluoride, which was the key chemical component in the atomic bomb production. One of the most toxic chemicals known to man, fluoride. <laughs> But guess where we find it? I went to the dentist. I'm like, don't put, I'm allergic to fluoride. Don't put it on me. Like, don't put that on my teeth at all. Zero. I don't want your fluoride. But it's in my water. It's in everything else. So again, pray and don't fear because that's all they want, you know, is us to live in fear because then our frequencies go down and our, our health can go down and everything else. The things I've learned about HIV and Project Naomi are mind blowing. And I'll, hopefully we'll have time to talk about that here someday. Uh, 1946, they started using patients in VA hospitals as guinea pigs for medical experiments. And in order to keep people off their back, they decided that they would use some word trickery because they're super good at that. And they changed the word experiment to investigation or observation. So whenever reporting a medical study performed in one of the nation's vet, uh, veterans hospitals, you won't see experiment. They're not experimenting on our veterans. It is a... Uh, word trickery of an investigation or observation. In 1947, uh, E.E. E. Kirkpatrick of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission issued a secret document. This document is number 0707501. It's dated January 8th, 1947, and it states that the agency will begin administrating doses of radioactive substance to human subjects. Because, you know, that's what they do with cancer. So why not just give it a shot in 1947 on people? In 1947, again, the CIA started that LSD study we've talked a lot about. In 1950, the Department of Defense plans to detonate nuclear weapons in desert areas. I'm one of them. They did white sands over here. Um, and monitor the downwind residents for medical problems and mortality rates. In 1950, an experiment to determine how American city would be under a biological attack, the U.S. Navy sprays a cloud of bacteria from ships over San Francisco. Monitoring devices are situated throughout the city in order to test the extent of the infection. Many residents become ill with pneumonia-like symptoms. 1951, Department of Defense begins an open-air test using disease-producing bacteria and viruses. Testing lasts from 1969. There are concerns that people in the surrounding area have been exposed. 1953, U.S. military releases clouds of zinc, cadmium, sulfide gas over Winnipeg, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Fort Wayne, the McConnie River Valley in Maryland, and Leesburg, Virginia. Their intent is to de determine how effectively they could disperse chemical agents. 1953. They're doing a lot here in 53, aren't they? Joint Army-Navy-CIA experiments are conducted in which tens of thousands of people in New York and San Francisco are exposed to the airborne germs of, and I don't know any what any of this is, but it's S-E-R-R-A-T-I-A. Oh, we talked about this already. Um, so that was that bacteria that they were giving people. 1953. Um... CIA initi initiates MKUltra. 
This is an 11-year research program designed to produce test drugs and biological agents that would be used for mind control and behavior modification. Six of the sub-projects involve testing agents on unwitting human beings. I'd say it's a lot more than six because they had 149. In 1955, the CIA experiments test ability to affect human populations with biological agents releases a bacteria withdrawn from the Army's biological warfare arsenal over Tampa Bay, Florida. These guys are such jerks. I can't even believe it. Again, 1955, they're doing more LSD research. Um, More than 1,000 Americans participate in tests, which continue until 1958. In 1956, the U.S. military released mosquitoes infected with yellow fever, as we talked about. 1958, LSD is tested on 95 volunteers at the Army Chemical Warfare Laboratories for its effects on intelligence. So now they're in the LSD phase of life. And again, putting this all in the public. And I, you know, I was in high school in the 90s and they're still passing out LSD to kids in school. So this lasted quite a while as well. I don't know if kids in high school are still taking LSD because I think they moved on to bigger and crazier drugs like fentanyl, unfortunately. And, you know, this isn't all an accident. I would love to, someday these are going to come out and in this year they did this to the government. They did this. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So more LSD things happening in the 60s, 65. They do the project MK search. Again, MK is always mind control. This is to develop the capability to manipulate human behavior through the use of mind-altering drugs. So that's MK search. Um, we talked about the prisoners in 65 with a Agent Orange. Actually, we didn't. So in 1965, another prison, this is Holmberg State Prison in Philadelphia, and they get the Agent Orange, which was used in Vietnam, and the men are later studied for the development of cancer. (laughs) Okay, another project is called MK Often. This mind control program was to test the um, toxicological effects of certain drugs on humans and animals. Uh, 1966, New York subway system. They released this, it's called B-A-C-I-L-L-U-S throughout the New York subway system. And more than a million civilians are exposed when army scientists drop light bulbs filled with the bacteria into ventilation grates. Can you imagine being one of those quote unquote scientists? What do you, what'd you do today, John? Oh, you know what I did? I went to the subway and I dropped light bulbs filled with bacteria into the ventilation grates. And now I'm going to wait and see how many people I can kill. But I know I infected more than a million civilians. It was a great day. How was your day? Can you imagine? That's, I mean, these people are psycho. So as I briefly mentioned MK Naomi, I'm going to mention it again right now. That started in 1967. Can't find a lot of information about this, but it is linked to the CIA making AIDS. And you really got to dig at the National Health Institute records to find that fact. And they lay it out right there. It's like a quick line. Hey, by the way, CIAs don't invent AIDS. Hey, okay, bye. And then you still read other articles and they're like, it came from a monkey. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, so MK Naomi, successor to MK Ultra, was designed to maintain a stockpile of tests, biological and chemical weapons. 
1968, the CIA experiment with the possibility of poisoning drinking water by injecting chemicals into the water supply of the FDA in Washington, D.C. In 1969, Robert McCann, the Department of Defense, requests from Congress $10 million to develop within 5 to 10 years a synthetic biological agent to which no natural immunity exists. <clears throat> AIDS. But I think AIDS happened way before that. Funding for this biological agent obtained under H.R. 15090, the project under the supervision of the CIA is carried out by Special Operations Division at Fort Dedrick, the Army's top secret biological weapon facility. Speculation is raised that this technique are used to produce age, age, AIDS-like retrovirus. 1970, the United States, listen to this, intensifies its development of quote-unquote ethnic weapons. So we're going back to eugenics right here. Ethnic weapons. Those are to kill certain ethnic groups, okay? And the only reason they have to kill these groups, they say, is because genetic differences and vari variations in the DNA. Yeah. So, again, eugenics. 1975, the virus section of Fort Diedrich Center of Biological Warfare Research is renamed Frederick Cancer Research Facilities and placed under the supervision of the Nas National Cancer Institute. So annoying. Another institute here. It is here that the special virus cancer program is initiated by the U.S. Navy purportedly to develop cancer-causing viruses. It's also here that the Retrovirulistic isolate virus to which no immunity exists. It is later named HTLV, human T cell leukemia virus. In 1977, Senate hearings on health and scientific research confirmed that 239 populated areas have been contaminated with biological agents between 1949 and 1969. Some of the areas include San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Key West, Panama City, Minneapolis, and St. Louis. In 1978, experimental hepatitis B vaccine trials conducted by the CDC began in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. As for research subjects, asked for homosexual men. In 1981, two years after this CDC experiment, the first cases of public AIDS are confirmed in homosexual men in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, triggering speculation that AIDS may have been introduced via the hepatitis B vaccine. In 1985, according to the Journal of Science, page 227, 173 through 177, HTLV and VISNA are fatal sheep viruses, are very familiar and similar, indicating a close taxonomic evolutionary relationship. So basically it's man-made. In 1986, according to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, HIV, VISNA are highly simil similar and share all structural elements except for a small segment which are nearly identical to the HTLV, which is a non-curable virus. This leads to speculation that the HTLV and the VISNA may have been linked to produce a new retrovirus to which no natural immunity exists. 
1986, a report to Congress reveals that the U.S. government current generation of biological agents include modified viruses, natural occurring toxins, and agents that are altered through genetic engineering to change the immunological characteristic and prevent treatment by all existing vaccines. Department of Defense in 1987 admits that despite treating a treaty banning research and development of biological agents, it continues to operate research facilities at 127 universities around the nation. 1990, more than 1,500 six-month-old black and Hispanic babies in Los Angeles are given experimental measles vaccine that had never been licensed for use in the United States. CDC later admits that parents were never informed that the vaccine being injected into their children was just experimental, much like COVID vaccine. 1994, with a technique called gene tracking, Dr. Garth Nicholson, the MD at Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, discovers that many returning Desert Storm veterans are infected with an altered strain of mycoplasm incognitus, a microbe commonly used in the production of biological weapons. Incorporated into its molecule structure is 40% of the HIV protein coat, indicating that it had been man-made. Guess who's going to get involved, though, and help everybody? Senator John Rockefeller in 1994 issues a report revealing that for at least 150 years, the Department of Defense has used hundreds of thousands of military personnel in human experiments and for intentional exposure to dangerous substance. Funny, John Rockefeller, you're funding it. And now you're admitting it? Is that fun for you? Materials include mustard, nerve gas, uh, radiation, psychochemicals, hallucinogens, and drugs used during the Gulf War. 1995, U.S. government admits that it offered Japanese war criminals and scientists who had performed human medical experiments salaries and immunity from prosecution in exchange for data on biological warfare research. 1995, Dr. Garth Nicholson uncovers evidence that the biological agents used during the Gulf War had been manufactured in Houston, Texas and in Florida, and that's Boca Raton, Florida, and tested on prisoners in Texas Department of Corrections. On October 3rd, 1995, President Clinton publicly apologized to thousands of people who became victims of MKUltra and other mind control programs. He sure did apologize a lot during his presidency. Um, we're going to end with that uh, apology here in a second, but we're just going to get to the 1997. Okay. So 1996, the defense admits that desert storm soldiers were exposed to chemical agents. 1997, 88 members of Congress signed a letter demanding an investigation into bioweapons. So just a quick rundown. We got project chatter, 1951 Navy program for the drug truth program. Um, we got Bluebird started in 1950. Bluebird was renamed Artichoke in 51. Now we have another project or operation, whatever you want to call it, that I just learned about. It started in 1952. It's called Project Castlegate. 
And that was when the Navy, the CIA teamed up to test a secret potion that consisted of a depressant, a stimulant, and an active ingredient in marijuana. The drug was to be administered over a three-day period, and the experiment was carried out in Germany at a secret CIA base on a military installation. And then I've talked about NK Naomi, Mind Control Naomi, before. But when I read this, I, my mouth just dropped yesterday. So in 1952, M.K. Naomi, pronounced M-K-N-A-O-M-I, um, with, of course, M.K. standing for mind control, was a special operations division of the Army. And again, this was in Fort Dedrick, Maryland. And their job was to produce a germ weapon for the CIA. Well, this is where a lot of people think HIV came into play. And this guy, this gentleman, his name is Boyd E. Graves, J.D., he was asked to give his perspective in regards to this program, and this is what he said in quotes. The code name for this development of AIDS, the MK portion, standing for the two co-authors of the AIDS virus, Robert Manker and Paul Colton. So really it stands for MK, yeah, mind control, but he's saying it should stand for the, the two co-authors of the AIDS virus. And those two guys, he said the Naomi portion stands for Negroes are only momentarily oh, momentary individuals. So Negroes are only momentary individuals. Is that not the most terrible thing? End quote. The U.S. government continues to orchestrate silence from the very top echelons of Congress and the military. And that's so true. I looked high and low for more on this and I it's so hard to find but what I did find is HIV and AIDS have zero to linked together and there's a whole paper about it and it blew my mind because so, I always thought you know you have a HIV and then you get AIDS but there, there's zero linkage to that that's just a lie told to you but if you really go to scientists they're like where's the link and nobody could find the link there's no link there's no link MK Ultra 1953 um, so again, we, we already have MK programs going on, right? We got MK Naomi, it's already going on 1952. We got the artichoke going on and uh, castle gate. We got all this stuff going on, but then we got the ultra, which MK ultra, I used to think was the one and only program, but it's not. This program was the use of biological and chemical weapons. And according to CIA documents, MK ultra was an umbrella project for funding sensitive projects and cover policy and procedures for the use of biochemicals in all their little operations they were doing. So MKUltra was exempted from normal CIA financial controls, and it allowed the TSS, which is a branch of the government, to begin researching projects without contracts or written agreements. So the TSS stands for Technical Services Staff. Um, and it was an agency referred to as the Gadget wizards similar to what q is to james bond i don't really know what that means um so then we got mk delta because mk naomi had already been set up prior um and it gave official permissions for mk ultra mk delta which became the operational side of mk ultra so mk delta became the op operational side of mk ultra i know there's a lot of mks going on here just think mind control so they have another MK, one that I had never heard of before, and it's called MK Search. And they say that MK Ultra in 1964 became MK Search. 
and many subprojects stayed under MK Ultra, while most sensitive behavioral experiments went to MK Search. So a lot of people I don't think even know about MK Search or researched it. So we'll have to probably do a podcast about MK Search for sure. The experiments were conducted on prisoners, terminal cancer patients, and people who were described as mental defectives. They also used radar waves on monkey brains, which risk cooking their brains. One of the scientists took the head of one monkey and tried to attach it to the body of another. The experiments involved studying telepathy, radio frequencies, and memory. MK search continued into the early 1970s and now because we're still doing all this stuff and more experiments were performed under ORD. That is the Office of Research Development. Some of these experiments consist of implementing electrodes into brains of cats, dogs, reptiles, and controlling the animals remotely. If you have not heard my forgotten Kennedy episode of JFK's sister, uh, they did this to her. They stuck electrodes in her brain until she was a handicapped woman the rest of her life. Animal experiments were always and still are performed first. Oh, so sad. But we don't hear much about this. Did you guys hear about the beagles and Fauci? I brought it up before. It's terrible. And they did it to beagles because they're nice and loving. So um, we got... Often, so we got Project in 1968, Project Often and Chitwit, um, which this was the hallucinogens were tested on inmates in Pennsylvania, but very little is known about these experiments. Um, Honestly, this list keeps going on and on and on. We got Operation Derby Hat, Project Monarch. This is uh, one that you're going to hear a lot about, Project Monarch. So I'm going to end with this one. And then we're going to listen to Clinton apologize for doing mind control to people. So Project Monarch is a mind control absolute under MKUltra. Project Monarch is a trauma-based mind control, a subjection of CIA Operation Artichoke, which is also known as Project MKUltra, involving the sophisticated manipulation of a child's mind to protect itself from extreme trauma by creating multiple personality disorders. Operation Monarch is talked about a lot by Kathy O'Brien. She wrote books about this. It's incredible the things that I have learned from her. And David Icke is another recommended person to read. There's um, Operation Monarch. There's Ritual Abuse Links. I mean, there's so many things. There's also Operation Mockingbird, which was the CIA's attempt and still working to this day of... Uh, controlling media. Um, So that's Mockingbird because they want to mock the same information in your ear. Uh, And, you know, this Operation Mockingbird is really what I feel like we're fighting the most right now. But again, let's pray before we pray, because I rather end this with prayer than Bill Clinton. Let's listen to Bill Clinton. Then we will pray. Thanks for listening to this almost two hour podcast. I know I went off today. But we had a lot to talk about, a lot to cover. And next week we will talk about these orphans and unfortunately a lot of the things they had to endure and where they even came from in these orphan trains. Here we go, the Clinton Apology Tour. All right, you ready, folks? But none of these efforts can succeed unless people believe that 
they can rely on their government to tell them the truth and to do the right thing. We have declassified thousands of government documents, uh, files from the Second World War, the Cold War, President Kennedy's assassination. These actions are not only consistent with our national security, they are essential to advance our values. So, to me, that's what this is all about. And to all those who represent the families who have been involved in these incidents, uh, let me say to you, I hope you feel that your government has kept its commitment to the American people to tell the truth and to do the right thing. We discovered soon after I entered office that with the specter of an atomic war looming like Armageddon, far nearer than it does today, the United States government actually did carry out on our citizens experiments involving radiation. Now, that's when I ordered the creation of this committee. Now, Dr. Faden and the others uh, did a superb job. They enlisted the many of our nation's most significant and important medical and scientific ethicists. They had to determine first whether experiments conducted or sponsored by our government between 1944 and 1974 met the ethical and scientific standards of that time and of our time. And then they had to see to it that our research today lives up to nothing less than our highest values and our most deeply held beliefs. From the beginning, it was obvious to me that this energetic committee was prepared to do its part. We declassified thousands of pages of documents. We gave committee members the keys to the government's doors, file cabinets, and safes. For the last year and a half, the only thing that stood between them and the truth were all the late nights and hard work they had to put in. This report I received today is a monumental document in more ways than one. But it is a very, very important piece Why is that funny? of America's history, and it will shape America's future in ways that will make us a more honorable, more successful, and more ethical country. What this committee learned, I would like to review today with a little more detail than Dr. Faden said, because I think it must be engraved on our national memory. Thousands of government-sponsored experiments did take place at hospitals, universities, and military bases around our nation. The goal was to understand the effects of radiation exposure on the human body. While most of the tests were ethical by any standards, some were unethical, not only by today's standards, but by the standards of the time in which they were conducted. They fail both the test of our national values and the test of humanity. In one experience, scientist experiment, scientists injected plutonium into 18 patients without their knowledge. In another, doctors exposed indigent cancer patients to excessive doses of radiation, a treatment from which it is virtually impossible that they could ever benefit. The report also demonstrates that these and other experiments were carried out on precisely those citizens who count most on the government for its help, the destitute and the gravely ill. But the dispossessed were not alone. Members of the military, precisely those on whom we and our government count most, they were also test subjects. 
Informed consent means your doctor tells you the risk of the treatment you are about to undergo. In too many cases, informed consent was withheld. Americans were kept in the dark about the effects of what was being done to them. The deception extended beyond the test subjects themselves to encompass their families and the American people as a whole. For these experiments were kept secret. And they were shrouded not for a compelling reason of national security, but for the simple fear of embarrassment. And that was wrong. And many things the Clintons did were wrong, and many things people did before them are wrong, and many things that are being done now are wrong. And Father God, we lift up this wrong to you, and we ask that you make it right. We know that you see and know all things that go on, and you love all children, and you wait for them to turn and repent of their wicked ways. But there comes a time where your mighty judgment will come down, and I believe we are so close, Lord, to seeing your hand move like we have never seen before. So I ask that anybody that can change the world, step up and change it. Anyone that's part of these projects, um, victims, survivors, family members, anybody with any memory to stand up and, and shout from the rooftops their stories. Let them hide no longer in fear or in isolation and let them start to speak their truth. In Jesus' name, I ask that the world change and it change very soon in the direction of good, in the direction of justice, in the direction of mercy, in the direction of grace, in the direction of complete um, just unity, but not in the one world order type of way, in the way of God, in the way we unite to fight for what's right. Lord, I just ask for every single person that's ever died for their blood to cry out to the gates of heaven and for justice to be served on their behalf. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray this. Amen. We'll see you next week for Operation Orphan Train. Talk to you later, guys. Don't worry. God wins. But we got to know the history. And we got to know the real history. <laughs>